Hey everyone, welcome back to Big Drunk Lists, the Woo! podcast ab- <laughs> the podcast about <laughs> participation. As always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois, I am your host, Greg Voss. And I am your other host, Ryan Fawkes, from the beautiful Bloomington, Illinois. Now, before we get in, we always like to uh, talk about what we are drinking. So, Ryan, give everyone, give everyone the lowdown. Oh, I... I'm drinking Jameson, my classic go-to podcast drink. Now, I will say, um, I had a nice little break from Jameson for a while, um, but I recently, our local Hy-Vee had a, had a good uh, like spirits and wine sale, so I got a big bottle for a pretty good price, so I'll probably be drinking this. Maybe even next week, I'll be drinking Jameson, but uh, after that, I'd plan to go back to kind of switching it up and trying some other some other drinks like I had before. So, um, look forward to that, listeners. In a couple weeks, we we can maybe do something kind of funky. Now it's time to get funky. Mm. <laughs> uh, mine is uh, I've been once again staying on my beer kick. Don't worry, folks. I will go back to uh, liquor soon enough. Um, but this one is. By the Mars Community Brewing Company. It's called Cocktail Umbrellas or Shades of Haze. I actually can't figure it out. Both of them are <laughs> out there. It looks like one just says Shades of Haze. And then another one says Cocktail Umbrellas. But there's a bunch of picture of Cocktail Umbrellas. So I'm assuming it's called Cocktail Umbrellas. <laughs> it's a milkshake IPA with pineapple in it. So it's very good. Very delicious. And then later I'll be switching over to something called Dark Black by Hop Butcher for the World. Big fan of that. It's amazing imperial stout with maple and sea salt. So good. So good. So it kind of sounds a lot like, uh, what's that? Uh, oh, Miller Lite? Uh, it's not as good as Miller Lite. Miller mm-hmm. Lite's like a nice, hearty, high-quality beer. Mm-hmm. It's like, kind of like a dessert beer, I think, yeah, is the best way good. to describe it. I think that, yeah, I had never really understood what a dessert beer was um, until I had my first Miller. And let me tell you, now I get it. Mm-hmm. And one of the big <laughs> things with um, Miller Lite is it's very heavy. So you can only have like one or two of them before <laughs> you just, you're just stuffed. It's like eating a deep dish pizza. <laughs> yeah, I only stop after one or two entire deep dish pizzas. Like, I only stop after one or two <laughs> entire cans of Miller Lite, right? <laughs> it's been a hot minute since I've had a slice of deep dish. Me too. It's been yeah. like uh, maybe two, three weeks. I don't really have the same excuse that you do, though. I Two, three weeks, okay. That's not as long as I was. It's probably been a couple of months for me. But, I mean, I proportionally, it's probably about the same because you live in Chicago, the home of deep dish pizza. Yeah. Um, and uh, I live in Bloomington where people have tried to replicate or create. I mean, we had a Giordano's moved down here last year. Mm. Um, of course, we have Rosati's, which does real good deep dish pizza. We used to have another place that closed down a couple years ago. But um, <laughs> if I lived in the city, I think it would be at least a weekly thing for me. A uh, misconception is that a Chicagoans regularly eat deep dish. Um, I probably eat it more than the average Chicagoan, uh, but... We actually eat something called tavern style. It's the thin crust version of pizza for Chicago. Very well known. It's cut into squares. And I know some people really don't like that because that way not every piece is an edge piece. Ooh, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. grab it. Just grab the center piece. You have no crust. It's, it's a much better piece. But that that's a very popular 
popular uh, style. And that's what the average Chicagoan, I would say, eats for pizza. So would you say that deep dish pizza is more of a touristy thing then? I mean, if uh, being so popular mm, in Chicago? No, I would say deep dish is more of a special occasion type thing. Okay, that makes sense. Because one of the reasons is it is very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, takes much longer to, to order. Usually it's like 45 minutes just to cook or something like that. It's based on where you go. It's, it takes a while. Um, and it's really good, but like, if I order a deep dish, I'm having deep dish for like four meals. The yeah, like true. two slices is so fills you right much. up. Yeah, it also doesn't reheat as well. Like I don't mind how it reheats. The, like the cheese like pours out of the sides and melts to the sides, like the plate and everything. So it's not as like good as when you get it and like. It is different. Yeah, you're right. I also like the way it reheats, but you're right. It reheats differently than like regular pizza reheats. <laughs> mm. It does. It almost like, I don't, I don't know if it falls apart or what. I mean, it just like kind of like almost seeps into the sides. Like you said, it definitely yeah. reheats differently, but sometimes you have to eat it with a fork and knife. I, I, you do. I hate, yeah. I hate eating pizza with the fork and knife, but sometimes you have to based on how it reheats. Also, it doesn't reheat as well because it's so thick and heavy. Although you get you get the hot pocket experience where the outside is yeah. a million degrees and it's still like chilly on the inside and it's like I'd rather just have it all be cold than hot, medium, freezing. That's one thing that I've talked in a previous episode how I don't really like cold pizza, but sometimes deep dish pizza when you warm it back up, I have to compromise a little bit, right? It's like it's either so hot that I can't enjoy it and eat it or it's all melty and this and that. Or I have to go with the fact that maybe it's not as warm as I would like for it to be and I have to compromise a little bit <laughs> just to get there. So uh, I have compromised on my own rule of not eating cold pizza just because deep dish pizza is very difficult to reheat the best way. And you know what? Maybe uh, cold foods is a... Uh another episode top 10 foods eaten cold oh i would hate that episode but mine mine would be like ice cream um <laughs> string cheese can be eaten cold um i we'll get there when we have that list but i don't i don't have very many unless things were designed deviled to be eggs. eaten cold My, oh. uh, i like uh uh-huh, see i like them room temperature deviled eggs i once you put them in the fridge i don't like them anymore to be honest best foods eaten cold uh, it's, it's coffee. I do, hey, I Hot drink cold brew coffee. <laughs> Yuck! <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to think. Yeah, I guess iced coffee is now a thing. Like room temperature, I guess is the coffee. You don't. I, I actually don't mind it as much. Some people are like, "Oh, this is awful," and I'm like, "It's not that bad." It's just, it's not as good, but I'm also not like, "Ooh, what is this?" I'm like, "Yo, it's just, this is just coffee flavored water at this point." I mean, that's right. all coffee is <laughs> but i think we've really um beaten this one to death yeah i know what's so even dessert? our topic for today greg it's not deep dish <laughs> pizza and it's not cold coffee so what are we even talking about <laughs> we're talking about the people who don't like deep dish pizza aka ah. villains oh, the terrible people oh, devils in disguise villains you might know them as people who are not the heroes and are not the neutral people so the bad guys neutral people that'd be a good episode top 10 neutral people background character number three notice how he does not (laughs) care as the villain is ripping off an innocent bystander's head as he just walks on by 
<laughs> the bus driver from Transformers. He drove the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could get some some really good ones. <laughs> the accountant who probably worked in the same business. <laughs> yes, it might have been run by an evil mastermind, but something tells me the accountant was just trying to get by. Someone had to do the paperwork, right? <laughs> All accounts are evil. Should we jump right into our top 10 villains then? I'll let you, and then when I come back, I'm going to talk more about this account. He just he <laughs> inspires me. Oh, shit. Okay, well, my <laughs> my number 10, Golden Face from Threat Level Midnight. Oh, that's such a good one. God damn it. <laughs> so anyone who doesn't know Threat Level Midnight, I, I will forgive you. Threat Level Midnight was actually... Um, Featured in an episode of The Office, and it was a movie that was created by a character on The Office, Michael Scott, who was the boss on the show. Um, and Golden Face was the enemy, played by Jim Halpert in the show. Um, and I'll give a little backstory on his character. So basically, <laughs> Golden Face, this whole movie is a big fucking joke, by the way. Um, there's a lot, it's, it's hilarious. The entire thing's been released on YouTube. It was featured in part in an episode of the show. But it's been released on mm. YouTube, so if you're an Office fan and you haven't seen it, you absolutely need to go watch the entirety of Threat Level Midnight. It's great. It's hilarious. But a little backstory on Golden Face. So uh, Golden Face was a man who worked in a gold factory, and his boss was a very greedy man and didn't even give the workers lunch breaks. So they had to eat the gold when they were hungry. <laughs> and as a result, his face turned to gold. Um, and so as a revenge for that, he vowed to blow up all the all-star games of the different sporting events so that the trophies would explode and everybody else would be covered in gold from the trophies and be miserable and look like him. Um, that's the background premise on his. Um, and then Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character, um, plays Michael Scarn in this movie. And his wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, was killed by <laughs> Golden Face in one of these events because he was busy running a 5K with Robin Williams at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not making this up, people. <laughs> and so uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Scarn, his wife, was killed. So uh, Golden Face was kind of his sworn enemy. So anyway, the whole thing is ridiculous and hilarious. But also there are some great quotes that Golden Face makes during the show and so I wrote a couple of them down um, and these will give you a little picture of kind of how he was as, a, as an enemy so here are his favorite my favorite quotes um, see I'm going to lure him here then I'm going to kill everybody then I'm going to dig up Skarn's dead wife and I'm a humper real good <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> and then finally, uh, when Michael Scarn comes to stop him, he says, uh, because I'm going to kill you unless you make a deal, I'll release these hostages and defuse the bomb. All you have to do is forgive me for murdering your wife. And Michael Scarn <laughs> shows like a flashback of missing his wife and this and that. It's really cheesy. Anyway, he doesn't. Um, and then Michael Scarn replies, hey, Golden Face, go puck yourself when he chucks a, a hockey puck with a bomb inside of it at him. Anyway, the whole thing's hilarious and wonderful. And go watch it. And he's a great, great, horrible villain. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Uh, I just want to point out something that this made me realize, and I hope I don't smack you across the face with this. Um, I didn't have any Bond villains. Do you? I, 
No, no. I I was never a big James Bond fan in general, but this would be the closest I would say I got to a Bond villain. So Goldenface would probably had a better chance than any of the Bond villains. I almost put uh, Doctor Evil on my list, uh, but I realized not like the Bond. Bond has like some of the most like stereotypically iconic villains, but the spoofs sum it up so much better than like the hokiness because Bond just gets rid of these characters and then they're done for good. Yeah, there are a few that are recurring. I know Jaws is one, but they really don't stick out my mind. They just kind of mesh together. And the ones that stick out the most are either from the most popular Bond movies or the ones who are most recent. Hmm. But Goldenface is so good. <laughs> I mean, he also kills Toby Flenderson, who is a wanted animal rapist. <laughs> Easily the most expensive shot in the film. <laughs> but it was integral to the plot. <laughs> oh, please uh, go watch that on YouTube if you have not seen it yet. It, so it, good. Even if you're not a huge Office fan, if you've seen any of it, you will love Threat Level Midnight. Or if you just like really bad movies or movies that spoof Bond films. So True. Good. Yeah, you don't even really have to know what's going on. <laughs> Oh, shit. How about you, Greg? What's your number 10? All right. My number 10 is also silly. Newman from Seinfeld. Oh. Played by Wayne Knight. Newman is basically a mailman neighbor of Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, If you don't know who Seinfeld is, uh, feel free to, uh, I don't know, snap back to reality. Oh, there there goes gravity. gravity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, like, obviously Seinfeld's huge. The show is one of the most successful shows of all time. It's so, so, so funny. Um, But Newman started off uh, as an off-screen character as a friend of Kramer, Seinfeld's neighbor. And he was an off-screen voice and was voiced by Larry David, who was one of the show writers, who is... Now very well known for Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, Well, later, uh, Wayne Knight, when they wound up bringing the actual actor in, they realized that Wayne Knight, who's also well known for playing Newman from Jurassic Park. Sorry, not Newman. (laughs) He played Dennis Nedry from Jurassic Park, (laughs) a.k.a. the guy who um, brought down Jurassic Park and had the, ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Well, uh, he came in and... Basically, Seinfeld and all the writers, they're like, this guy is so good. And they made a much bigger character. And he became a recurring character all the way to the end. He is a nutty, nutty post Postal Service worker who is described as the Lex Luthor to Jerry Superman. Uh, he <laughs> declares zip codes are meaningless. And that no mail carrier has ever successfully delivered more than 50% of their mail. (laughs) (laughs) So what I find out here is that all mail carriers are actually real life villains because that's probably true. (laughs) Yes, I can can see that. Except for uh, the one I had growing up. The one I had growing up was uh, definitely a porn star. (laughs) Oh, okay. Let me me go into this a bit. All right. We had this, you know, this is the early 90s. I'm in Lyons, Illinois. And we had this, <laughs> this postal worker who'd walk down. 
and uh, we were still in Cook County, which is the the county that Chicago's in. So we were still very close to the city. So in the city, so uh, instead of having a truck that would go around and like in suburbs and place where you have your mailbox on the edge of the the street, you go and you put in like you have a truck that can put in all the mailboxes where you have a bunch of apartments and things like that. You don't have people in trucks. You have people pushing around carts. This guy would walk around pushing around carts wearing super short, short male. Like he'd wear basically what Dangle wore from Reno 911. Like the short shorts and the tight shirt. <laughs> right. But yeah. it was male. It was male. And he had these these really big socks that went up to like his knees. And he had this big old porn stash, wore aviators, which I mean is a very kind of typical Chicago thing. These <laughs> aviators in a stash. But he had it and then his arm was just covered in rubber bands. And then what he would do is he'd grab all the 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 letters and then he'd slide down the rubber band from his arm and it would then it would automatically snap around the uh, the letters and he'd hand it to us like because we like whenever we see the mailman like we'd be like can we go get the mail and he loved it because normally you know you'd have to go up to the house to put in the mailbox but this way when a kid runs out he's like oh here you go I can get it to the kid the kid will bring it inside that way I don't have <laughs> yeah, to like sure. so it worked out for both because we were so excited because we just wanted to be the one to get the mail because we were stupid kids and we were just right. like oh this is fun uh, but yeah yeah we, we like to imagine that he was researching a porn role where he was a uh a post office worker and he had a big package to deliver and this was him oh. researching the role and that's what we like to imagine at least anyway craig i learned so much about you from these <laughs> podcasts I, i've learned that uh in lyons illinois et lived in your closet and your mailman was a porn star researching a role so i <laughs> childhood imaginations are whack even though that one kind of came about later but we were like as we got older and learned about porn, we're like, oh, this guy was definitely a porn star. I think that both are true. I don't know what imagination you're talking about. Like, I'm pretty convinced from your storytelling that both of those things are true. But let's get back on track. Ryan, yes. take a drink. I'll take a drink. People at home, take a drink. As we move on to Ryan's saucy number nine. Would you say your number nine is saucy? I would say it's a little saucy. Um, I would say this is my only real life villain on my list as well. <gasps> Simon Cowell. Now, I know that this is a real person, uh, but anybody who's ever watched any of the shows that Simon Cowell is a judge on American Idol, Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent um, might say that he is the villain of those shows. Um, there are other judges on these shows. Anyway, if, if you've seen any of these, you know that Simon Cowell has no filter in telling you that he doesn't think that you're very talented. And most of the time on these singing competitions, uh, sometimes he'll even make you feel bad about yourself if you came onto the show. So in the original American Idol lineup, you had Randy Jackson, who was always very encouraging, like, oh, no, dog, I don't, I don't think it's for me, man. I don't Called know. Called everyone dog. Always called everybody dog, but also was pretty nice about it, even if he didn't like you. Paula Abdul, who's like a fucking sweetheart on there, like even if you were terrible, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, man, I love you, sweetie. You're so wonderful. You're so great, but oh, maybe you're just not right for the show. And then Simon Cowell would have no problem just fucking tearing you apart. And actually, I wrote down, again, some of my favorite Simon Cowell quotes specifically for Ooh. this. I'm not going to try to do an accent because I'm not I'm bad at that, uh, but I'll at least read them off. So um, <laughs> these are some of my favorite. I have five of my favorite Simon Cowell quotes. 
Um, that was exactly identical to a nightmare I had last week. <laughs> there are only so many words I can drag out of my vocabulary to say how awful that was. <laughs> if you had lived 2,000 years ago and sang like that, I think they would have stoned you to death. <laughs> yes, you have personality, but dogs have personality. <laughs> the audition, if I'm being honest, for you was horrible. <laughs> And finally, the only decent thing about this audition was the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> obviously, Simon Cowell has no problem ripping into people who are putting out, uh, really, their passion and heart on the line in these singing competitions. And for that, I think he's a little bit of a real-life villain. I would have... I'm surprised that you didn't put someone like Gordon Ramsay or Adolf Hitler over him. But hey, you know... Gordon Ramsay, as I was putting Simon Cowell together, was kind of on my list because Gordon Ramsay um, is kind of the Simon Cowell of the culinary world. But the difference I see with Gordon Ramsay is on his shows, he also takes the necessary steps to help you improve after tearing you down. Mm. Simon Cowell literally tears you down and then kicks you out of the room. Right. He doesn't even try to give you any kind of like positive criticism or constructive criticism or feedback. He literally like tells you you're a piece of shit and then kicks you out never to be seen again. Gordon Ramsay is also amazing with kids. If you see him on any of the kids shows, he is so fucking good with them. He is such a sweetheart. He's just when you're like considered one of the greatest chefs in the world, you expect excellence. Like, oh, yeah. And so he does that on the shows. But when it's a, just about kids, he's just so nice with them. He is so good with kids. Um, but as we've talked about in previous episodes, I do not like how emotions and sob stories are ruining TV. And uh, that's why I think Simon Cowell was, was real. I liked Simon Cowell because these people did suck. But just because their dog got <laughs> run over and, you know, they got diagnosed with uh, the inability to taste strawberries doesn't mean that you deserve to go on to the next singing round. And he was like, everyone's else like, oh, you have a great story. I can't wait to hear it. And then I hear it, I'm like, all right. Sometimes they were OK, but like it was very obvious that they would not make it onto the next round. And then they're like, we're going to move you on to the next round. And Simon's like, no, you you suck. Like, it was okay, but, like... And then other times, they did suck. And it's like, you know what? He was doing more for them than the other people. Because if they're never, ever, ever going to make it into the big time, don't waste your time. If you're that fucking bad, don't even have the dream. Like, sorry, but, like, you either have to decide you're going to spend money on a professional coach or stop. Don't be like, oh, they said I was good, so maybe I'm almost there. No, dude, the rest of America is laughing at you, but it's behind a TV. You can't see it. Simon Cowell's the only one who's technically on your side. He's telling you the truth. I think that there's probably a good balance, though. I mean, I think you can tell someone they're bad without saying 2,000 years ago they'd been stoned to death for singing like that. Um, but that's, that's either true, here nor but, there. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's also so much 
more TV friendly than just like, uh, you're not really that good. I agree. That's a big piece of it too. And, and, and also the reason I put him on this list, even though he's a real person is I'm sure that's a character he's playing as well. Like, I can't imagine he's that difficult to be around at all times. You know, I, even if when he's criticizing things, I'm sure he's not that rude about it. You know, I'm sure he is intentionally overdoing it for the sake of the show. So um, I think that that's Simon Cowell portrayed by Simon Cowell. I, I, I can I can see that. My spooky, scary number nine. <laughs> Carnage. Ooh, great one. So while going through this, I realized comics have way better villains than almost all other media. So I tried to limit the number of comics. And there are a few that are part comics, part not. But Carnage is probably my favorite cool villain one of the problems with comics and their their villains is that if a villain gets too popular they become an anti-hero this is what happened with venom uh it later happened with galactus i think kind of like deadpool i mean some of them it's like hard i I don't know if wolverine meant to be a hero because i know in the beginning he does fight hulk he started in a Hulk one. But uh, if you get very popular as a villain, a lot of times you will switch sides. Not always, but a lot of times. But Carnage, you can't. So Carnage is a symbiote, which is what Venom is. Uh, For those who know what Venom looks like, whether you've seen the old school uh, Spider-Man cartoons, and by old school, I mean pretty much any of the Spider-Man cartoons. Oh yeah. Um, The god awful Spider-Man 3. I love I love the Raimi the Raimi trilogy, but Venom is a is a jacked jacked monster, and uh, who who plays him? Topher fucking Grace from that '70s show. Awful awful casting. Uh, later they had uh, Tom Hardy play him in the movie, and it was very good. And in fact, Carnage finally made his uh, live action debut with Woody Harrelson in a post credit scene, and he says, "There will be Carnage," and he's got red hair just like uh, the villain is. So he'll be in. Venom, let there be carnage in 2021. Wow, that's I and I, I'm sorry to interrupt your flow, but I loved Carnage and Venom, and I did not, I haven't seen the new Venom movie yet, so I did not know that Carnage had a sneak. And Woody Harrelson, I mean, come on, that's phenomenal, that's gonna oh, be great. Yeah. So, uh, to give background, uh, Cletus Cassidy is a serial killer who was considered uh criminally insane, and he was in the same jail cell as Eddie Brock. Uh, Eddie Brock got his uh, Venom symbiote back, and the symbiote left basically an offspring. And it's kind of like this goo. And uh, the serial killer had a cut in his arm, and it went into his bloodstream and bonded with him that way. And uh, he is much stronger, more powerful, as offsprings for symbiotes tend to be. They're usually stronger than their parent. And uh, that's why he's red. Um, He is this horribly darker version of Venom. He was created because they didn't want to replace Eddie Brock for as Venom because Venom was very popular and they didn't want to get rid of him. And uh, they kind of settled on a few names. They were, went Chaos, then Ravage, and finally on Carnage. But he uh, was just a very violent, evil entity. Uh, he's had some sweet freaking comic book runs, Maximum Carnage. Uh, I think th- there's actually talks of that, what uh, the next film's going to be about. There's a... a old Super Nintendo game I used to play with my buddy and uh, that was called Maximum Carnage and they're all based off of one comic book series that's very, very good and Carnage is just a, a great, vicious, 
powerful villain. I was never a big comic book guy, but I did. Uh, you mentioned a video game. I loved the PlayStation Spider-Man game from probably like 2000. Um, it was just called Spider-Man. It might even have been like a movie. You know what I mean? Movie release video game. You know how they do that after a big movie comes yeah. out. They'll do a video game. But Carnage was the final battle on that game. And that's what introduced me to Carnage. And that's what gave me my love for Carnage was that. Um, and ever since then, I'm all, I've always thought he was just such a cool, um, just evil, had no problem, just wreaking destruction character. I love him. I love Carnage. With that, let's hear Ryan's number eight. Take a drink. Uh, Mike Tyson from the video game Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Mike Tyson? Oh. Uh, Mike Tyson. <laughs> so I don't know if you've played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Greg, but this was a game for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the first, the NES, the first Nintendo system. Uh, released in 1987, and the entire premise of this game, um, where you were this little fighter named Little Mac, um, and it was kind of your your goal to fight all the fighters to get to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, um, who was actually Mike Tyson, because at the time, Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world, um, and Nintendo had gotten rights to include him in the video game. So... Hmm. The, the whole game, um, every every person that you fight has a trick or a pattern of a way that you could fight them. Like, they'd always, you know, do a certain thing. Like, one would do, like, punch, punch, uppercut. So you could dodge, dodge. You know, and you could kind of get in a way. Where Mike Tyson was really unique was for the first, like, 90 seconds of the fight, he would just do uppercuts. And the uppercuts would knock you out in a single punch when you wow. were fighting Mike Tyson. So he was hard as fuck. To fight after, of course, you know, playing against 20 different enemies to get up to him in this fucking game mm. was hard. Or if you were like me, um, even before times of the Internet, you were given while you played, you were given codes to advance to certain points. So when you got to Mike Tyson, they gave you a code. You could just write it down, you know, and then later you come in and just fight Mike Tyson, which was really nice. Um, and now in the age of the Internet, you can just look that shit up at any time. You know, it's not as special as it used to be. <laughs> Um, but he was so powerful and, and it was really, I mean, it was supposed to be the Mike Tyson, um, but he was not included in any of the future games um, because at the time when they, when the game, um, when the next game was ready to come out, the licensing agreement with Mike Tyson had expired um, and Nintendo, because Mike Tyson had actually lost his title of heavyweight champion in the world, Nintendo decided not to renew in their license agreement. So they created their own characters that was kind of semi-based on Mike Tyson called Mr. Dream. Anyway, that's not here nor there, but Mike Tyson was just such a villain because you would put in hours and hours and hours of work in this video game just to get to Mike Tyson and dude would fucking kick your ass in like 15 seconds. Right, like you'd put in the work for days to get there. You'd leave your game on pause because there was no easy way to get back to where you were, you know. And you'd come and you'd come after school and you'd keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. You finally got to him and he would just fucking squash your dreams in like 15 seconds um, because he was a one-punch knockout. So Mike Tyson from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Horrible villain. Uh, were you able to bite people's ears? No, there was no ear biting uh, in Mike Tyson's punch out. So it was not a very realistic game in that sense. <laughs> uh, who did he bite the ear of? Was it Holyfield? 
I, I don't remember who it was, but no, I do I don't remember think hearing the story. Yeah. Uh, ear biting. I want to type in ear biting. Let's see what we have here. It was a Vander Holyfield. Yep. Oh, okay. Build as the sound and the fury. Later, known as the bite fight or the bite at 97. <laughs> <laughs> I did not play much of that game. Um, but, uh, well, uh, excellent lead in, though, to my number eight because Ooh. I also have a video game character. Hell yeah. Well, who's that? Well, you know what? It's mine. Let me keep that. All right. You're number seven. No, so um, my what? number. <laughs> uh, King K. Rule. From Donkey Kong Country. Wonderful one. Wonderful one. So King K. Rule was a... I could only describe it as an obese alligator that had a crown and lived on a pirate ship and uh, was the final boss in the Donkey Kong Country games and Donkey Kong 64 and he'd throw his crown at you and you'd have to dodge it and then he showed up in number two and I think in number two he was like more pirate designed and then later he was like a mad scientist at number three. But basically, he was meant to be the Bowser for Donkey Kong. And he was just in the original series, and then he was in uh, the 64 game. And after that, he kind of fell off the radar. He wound up showing up in, like, I think the Diddy Kong Racings and a baseball game. I think a Mario baseball game for, like, the Wii U or something weird like that. But he didn't show up in the uh, either of the Donkey Kong remakes. Uh, tropical freeze or things like jungle rhythm or but he like he fell off the 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 radar but recently in 2019 there was a release of him on the super the the last super smash bros game Hmm. and i was so happy within five minutes of them releasing the video where it was like look who's getting released and it was King K. Rule, and I had three people send it to me within five minutes of it coming out. <laughs> Two people coworkers know. and my brother. Yeah. yeah, they're like, he loves it. Like I said in a previous episode, Donkey Kong Country was kind of like my first real foray into gaming. And he's always held a special place in my heart as like my Bowser. He was like the first villain I knew. Even though... The protagonist of the Donkey Kong Country games was originally a villain himself. No, he wasn't. He was. Donkey Kong was a villain in the first Donkey Kong game. Yes. Sorry, but that's the same name. Actually, that's Cranky Kong. I think we actually talked about that. Oh, he's the he's the grandpa of Donkey Kong. The grandpa is the original one. That's Cranky Kong, and he's the one who gives you little hints and tips. You're right. That's Cranky Kong, and he is the original Donkey Kong. I was going to say, I think uh, we did talk about this during the last episode. One of the other great things about Donkey Kong Country is it's developed by one of the best game developers, um, game de- development studios out there. Rare did those games, and they are make some of the best platformer games ever. I agree. It's very, very great games. But yes, let's move on to your number seven as everyone takes a drink. Let's do that. Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore. 
Oh, excellent. <laughs> um, so Shooter McGavin um, from the 1996 Adam Sandler movie, Happy Gilmore, um, was kind of the main antagonist of the film. Um, he was a golfer. And so kind of some background, because um, I'd like to give that. Um, the movie's about um, Happy Gilmore, who was a very um, hot-headed, angry hockey player who was not great at hockey, but he was very, had very powerful shots, um, uh, played by Adam Sandler. His grandmother, uh, was back on taxes or something and she was going to lose her home. So he was finding ways to make money for it. And he found that, um, he could enter into, um, golfing competitions like tournaments, golf tournaments to basically earn some money because that this, uh, powerful slap he had in hockey also played very well to get the golf ball down the field. So, uh, he would enter into various competitions to try to make money to save his grandma's home. And shooter McGavin was a legitimate golf player, um, who didn't like the fact that happy Gilmore, uh, was kind of coming in and winning even some of these local tournaments. So he kind of became, um, the villain of, of this show because he was very jealous of the fact that Happy Gilmore is coming in. Um, he was just very arrogant. Um, he was a pretty good golfer, actually. I mean, he had won other competitions in the past, never won the coveted um, gold jacket or whatever that he wanted from a certain competition. Um, but he, he was pretty good and would win a lot of local competitions, but um, just kind of very arrogant. He really hated Adam Sandler's character, Happy. Um, and he didn't like the fact that he might beat him in the competition. So he did a lot of things to try to fuck with Happy's success. Mm. Um, one of the things was he hired a guy to basically heckle him because he knew he had an anger problem. Um, so anytime he would make a mistake or even he was trying to hit the ball, he'd be like, hey, jackass, you know, and kind of just try <laughs> to piss him off, you know, so he would miss and shit, which was really funny. Um, at one point, even um, bought Happy's grandma's home. Um, on auction when she had lost it before he had a chance and um, offered to give it back to him if he dropped out of the competition or threatened to burn it to the ground. This guy was just a dick. This guy was just a dick. Um, anyway, I guess there's not too much more to say. He was a total fucking douchebag. He ends up losing to Happy later. He even tries to steal from Happy when he wins this golden jacket. He tries to steal it and run off, but um, he doesn't get very far. Uh, and this guy was just a total piece of shit. He was also very famous because he eats pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> for those who don't know, he had a, a great line where he oh, says, I yes. eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> because you eat pieces of shit for breakfast. <laughs> and his amazing response is, no. <laughs> um, and I, I, I would love to meet the actor who played... Uh, Shooter McGavin, because that actor is constantly a villain and constantly a douchebag. And I would like to meet him because something tells me that him always being a villain, but in comedies probably means he's a funny dude. I, I will say, so I did a little research on him specifically. Um, the actor, Christopher McDonald is the name of the actor who plays him. Um, and when I searched Christopher McDonald, um, Shooter McGavin. One of the things that came up was a TMZ article from 2017 um, that shared that he had gotten pulled over uh, for reckless driving in his Porsche. And it turns out that he was under the influence. So he got a DUI. But at the time of the police officer stopping him for a DUI in 2017, 
Mind you, this film came out in 1996. He looks at the cop and says, um, have you ever seen Happy Gilmore? I'm Shooter Gavin, McGavin from Happy Gilmore. He tried to use, <laughs> even though he's been in over 200 movies in some capacity, he tried to relate using Happy Gilmore to get him out of his ticket. Um, he ended up sitting a night in the drunk tank and he went home the next day, you know, and probably paid some fines and shit. But um, <laughs> he even loved his role there so much that he thought it could get him out of a DUI. <laughs> oh man that's really <laughs> i don't know if that makes him a douchebag or not but that's... <laughs> i think it just uh it shows that maybe he's got a little bit of that ego and uh <laughs> maybe a little bit of that arrogance that he had in the movie shows up in in real life as well which is probably why he plays the part so well well then <laughs> that's <laughs> maybe maybe he's just like that, I don't know. Uh, my number seven is probably the most obscure, I feel, on my list. While debatably being the most powerful. The Anti-Monitor from the DC Universe. Mm, yeah, I have no idea what that is. So the Anti-Monitor, um, he first appeared in something called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Number two in 1985. I, I read it... Uh, a while ago. So DC has a bunch of things called crises. Um, and there's a few other things that do it as well. But what they do is it usually redoes everything in their universe, which essentially lets them restart all of their comic book arcs. So a lot of them intermingle and it's not uncommon while reading these comics to see something where it'll be like, oh, this person like shows up and it'll just say like, to see why this person's here, see Green Lantern number 47 or something like that. So uh, they have these very powerful events and the anti-monitor uh, is basically this being who is like in charge, not in charge, but like is, is very powerful and deals with these anti-universe it's like an anti-matter type of universe and he is very very powerful and he was all of these universes were meshing together and he was going to basically destroy the universes in fact he has uh killed or he's directly responsible for more deaths than any known dc supervillain oh, because wow. he's destroyed thousands of universes <laughs> universes like so there's, you know, many universes and they bring them together and, you know, he's just destroyed some of, uh, so many of them. He's not very well known, but he did show up in the Arrowverse. Uh, I actually didn't see what show he was in, but he was, then he's also been in the Green Lantern cartoon and the Arrowverse is known for Arrow, which is supposed to be a good show. I haven't watched it yet. Um, but I know the, what is it? I think Supergirl and Flash might take place in there. I think it's like all those DC shows on the CW. They're supposed to be really good, but uh, yes. So he's very, very powerful. He's the brother of the monitor. There's the monitor and the anti-monitor, but uh, he's so powerful that in other crises, just his corpse is used as basically ways to completely re-trigger events. Huh. I don't really have anything at all to add because it's not a character I've ever heard of. And yeah. I'm not a big, I, I, I've never been super big comic book guy just in general. Um, 
in fact, if it doesn't show up in any of the major theatrical movies, it's I probably never even heard of the character. <laughs> you know what I mean? He is very heavy in the uh, the comic book lore, but he really hasn't done much outside of it. There you go. Now you know. <laughs> now I know. And you know what's funny is that actually plays directly into my number six. Nah. Nah. No, it doesn't actually at all. I'm I'm actually I'm actually lying. I was just hoping for a better segue because I don't have uh, anything to add at all. So I guess we could take a drink and move into my number six. My number six is a is a multi multi one, and actually I have one other multi one on my list, um, inspired from our last episode when you had a few multis on the list. Um, the ghosts from Pac Man. Uh, actually known because they did have names as Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. <laughs> the ghosts from Pac-Man. I, I do remember that because they would they would actually say it on the screen while playing. Yeah, I, and I think it was like uh, either as the intro or maybe like after you lost the game. You know, they kind of showed it like in the credits. But I always thought that was really funny as a kid that you had three with uh, um, kind of matching names and then Clyde, <laughs> which made no sense at all. But... Um, anyway, excuse me. What makes, what makes these such great villains, um, is they are the only villains in the entirety of Pac-Man. And they're also some of the hardest bosses in a game that you would ever play. Um, and, and hear me out on this because you might think, oh man, Pac-Man's not hard, but let me explain why they are very difficult villains. Uh, first of all, right off the bat, um, the hardest bosses in the game are on the same level you're on. In most video games, you have to like work up to the boss battle. You have an opportunity to learn how to play the game and you fight other maybe smaller bosses or regular enemies to work your way up to fight in a boss battle. In Pac-Man, the four only bosses and the most poor most powerful boss villains are literally on the same screen as you are and they can kill you and take your life by literally just bumping into you that's how strong they are like just by bumping into you they kill you and if you think okay well you know what i can get them i can eat this power up i can come and eat them and they're gonna be gone guess what they come back you can't even get rid of them they can't die and even if you beat the level they're there again on the next level and they move faster, which means they're harder to get. So mm. these villains uh, seemingly not so bad, but when you add up the fact that it's impossible to kill them, um, they will come back and get you. They're just going to become more powerful as you progress through the game. And they're always out to get you to end your game. I think that makes them pretty fucking devious. They're ghosts. They're spooky and they're scary it's a really good analogy for like real life. Like if you think you're seeing a ghost, uh, take some pills and uh, you should be able to defeat them. <laughs> and problem solved. And then just chomp down on the ghost and they'll be gone at least yeah. for a little while. Yeah. But then, then the, the medication's probably worn off and then they come back. Like, yeah. <laughs> let me move on to my number six. Homelander. Woo hoo. Woo hoo. Homelander from The Boys. Um, the Boys is a relatively new TV show, and I do not have too much information about him. Now, the reason I didn't grab too much information about him is uh, 
the TV show came out last year. The TV show is so good. I loved it so much. In fact, that he dressed up as Homelander for Halloween last year. The Boys is based off a comic. It might be technically owned by DC, but basically um, what happened was a guy wanted to write these comics about what if the Justice League was like, there's collateral damage and people had to keep them in place, like keep them in check. And uh, DC, like one of the higher ups in DC are like, no, we're not letting you make our bread and butter bad. So we're going to hook you up with this other company we have connections to. And you can basically make a spoof version of the Justice League. And that Justice League is called The Seven. And Homelander is kind of like a star-spangled Superman. He's he's the most powerful superhero by and far. But basically all these superheroes are corrupt. They're um, heavily involved in a multi-billion dollar business. The bigger and more successful you are, the more well-loved you are. You get movie deals. And he is their like star poster child but he's like a massive douchebag like there's a line where he goes i'm the homelander i can do whatever the fuck i want he goes into quite a bit but i couldn't do much research because i read the first like group of comics which is what season one's about but season two comes out next month and i didn't want to do too much research because then you get into the weird realm where people will talk about like simultaneously the show and the comics at the same time i I basically get spoilers and i wanted to avoid spoilers but uh homelander is basically uh a villainous superman but not like world conquering where like because superman has been villainous many many times uh but homelander is just like a cocky asshole who has no qualms with just killing people but he's not like i'm gonna conquer the world he's still afraid of humans who are like in charge, I think, like, floor 87 of Vought, like, and Vought's the company that runs all this stuff. So he just doesn't want to lose his money and his power, uh, despite him being a super powerful being. But Anthony Starr masterfully, masterfully plays him. Uh, it's a very funny show, very brutal, too. It's one of the very few shows that really mix it together well, where I'm I'm laughing my ass off one minute going, oh, shit, in the next, um... But if you have not seen the show, The Boys, please watch it. It's a hoot and a holler. I've not, and I think I will watch it because I, I looked it up while you were talking. It's an Amazon Prime original, and I have Amazon Prime, <laughs> so I can watch it. Last episode, we found that a lot of the things you were talking about are shows that I haven't watched. Greg, I think you'll be very proud of me, or maybe you're not going to give a fuck, but you might be proud of me to know that last night I started Avatar The Last Airbender. Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> uh, no, Some that's fuck. really good. I'm very, I'm very happy that you started that. I was really hoping that you were going to start Psych first. <laughs> nah, fuck you. Whatever. Fuck off. Why don't we uh, take a couple glug lugs and move into Ryan's numero cinco? No. Oh, all right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on Big Drunk Lists. <laughs> it's been great. Our podcast is over now. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so my number five, um, I went back and forth on this one a lot because I was trying to decide, does this character classify truly as a villain or an anti-hero? Because I think there is a difference. Ooh, 
Anyway, so my number five, um, and I struggled with this one back and forth, so I won't be surprised if you disagree with it for that reason, is Walter White from Breaking Bad. He's almost not a, an anti-hero. You could almost just say he's a villain who's the main character. I think that that's why I went back and forth, because uh, Walter White, in my mind, is definitely a villain, but he's the villain that you love. And I think I don't think enough shows and enough movies focus well enough. Um, I think the Joker movie just recently did this, where they focus on um, the enemy and kind of give you some background. But you really you felt for Walter White in Breaking Bad, which, by the way, we've talked about. Um, Brian Cranston's portrayal of this character, Walter White in Breaking Bad, was like one of the best TV characters of all time, easily, mm. hands down. Um, but because he's the main character of the show and you see that he's basically been like shit on for his entire life, you feel for the guy, but truly, I mean, he is a villain in all sense of the word. Um, and you know, at first you, it kind of gives the impression that he's just trying to help out his family. Um, but then it goes so much further than that, right? I mean, and he basically lets his pride and his greed continue to drive him further and farther and further into this world of crime, um, into this. He becomes like the biggest fucking drug lord of all time um, and just goes from being this nerdy chemistry teacher at a high school um, to being this feared um fucking drug mob leader you know basically um he's willing to cheat steal he kills you know he's willing to kill i i even remember the scene when um and i i forget her name but um when jesse's girlfriend jane maybe um had gotten him Mm. back into heroin and he watched her die um just so he could use it to later control jesse I think that that was and the he moment saved for me. Her. Could All have he had to do, easily she, saved her. She died by throwing up in her own mouth. Could have just rolled her on her, her side. Yes. Could have rolled her on her side. But he, in a way to be able to control Jesse later, and he even says it to him later, you know, says, I watched her die. Like, it is a way to control. I think that was the moment in the series for me when I stopped looking at him as the guy I felt sorry for that was doing what he needed to do for his family and realized, nah, brah, you switched, you know, like you're the bad mm. guy now, but you're the bad guy. We love because you play it so well and you're the main character. And I would be interested to see more shows and movies do this. Like, I feel like all these villains and these, these bad characters on our list, um, some of them have such great backstories that lead them into this life of villainry that they have um, that you you would maybe have that same internal conflict if you saw them. But um, all that to say, even though um, you wanted to love him and it even hurt when you see it not work out for him, um, he was a bad guy the whole time, at least after he made that point where he switched. He was truly a villain on the show. I, I agree. I would like to see more villains. Uh, I think villains are way more fun sometimes because, I mean, if we always have good guys on our screen who just fight bad guys, you're always rooting for them. But it's kind of nice to not be able to root for the main character where you kind of hate them. But like when they're so well played, like, oh, who played Walter White again? Um, Brian Cranston. I was going to say Malcolm's dad, but yeah, Brian right, Cranston. Yeah. Malcolm's uh, dad, right. <laughs> uh, he just did it so fucking well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phenomenal. 
fact, um, Anthony Hopkins said that Brian Cranston's acting was the best he'd ever seen. I think we said on a previous episode that I think it's going to be a long time before we see a TV character played as masterfully as that character. I'll agree. I guess I'll move on to my number five. Please do. My number five might be one of the most popular villains of all time, Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Oh, you already know I have nothing to contribute to this one, so I hope you have some good facts about Sauron. He's the bad guy from Lord of the Rings. All right, Ryan, let's move on to your number four. (laughs) Everybody take a drink. (laughs) Um, So Sauron is the all-seeing eye from the movies, though technically he has more of a physical form in the books. Uh, Tolkien never really describes it, uh, but originally he could change shape and then he became a follower of like Morgoth or some being like that in the Sumerian and then he, uh, or Similarillion, I don't know how it's pronounced, uh, and became kind of what you see in the beginning of the Lord of the Rings movies where he gets his finger cut off. One of the interesting things though is while he is viewed as like evil, he's like, he is like evil incarnate in the movie. He is the Dark Lord. He runs. The orcs who are just evil beasts who just want men dead. They love killing. But Tolkien actually says absolute evil cannot exist. But did state that Sauron came as near to a holy evil will as was possible. In the actual Hobbit books, the reason that Gandalf kept jumping around and leaving was because he had to go and deal with a necromancer. And then later the necromancer turned out to be Sauron. I remember that I, <laughs> for Lord, I guess, um, but that's that's uh, the entirety of my contribution to your number. So I apologetically will say, let's take a drink as we move on to my number four. So my number four um, does come from the comic book universe. Particularly, though, I like the way that this role was portrayed in a certain 1997 film. Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1997 film. I think we've talked about Mr. Freeze uh, maybe once before um, for his hilarious ice-related puns, which during the course of the movie, he has more than 20. Um, One source said 27, another source said 29, so somewhere between 25 and 30 ice puns in the course of one movie, not to mention the ones that um, Batman and Robin also make (laughs) during the course of the movie make for hilarious film, but... um, Like any other typical villain, um, Mr. Freeze came with very positive intent off the get-go. He was never just a bad guy. Even in the comics, he's a lot of times, it's not uncommon for him to actually like partially team up with Batman or something like that because he's not viewed as as, as wholly evil. And he kind of even did in this film, in the Batman Robin film, once mm. he realized that, uh, you know, Poison Ivy had lied to him and was kind of using him. He also kind of cited, but he was, you know, at least for a point during the movie, was kind of a villain. Um, what I really like about him particularly, though, of course, are some of the ice puns. So I wrote down some, uh, some of my favorites, um, just three of them this time, of some of my favorite things. And I am definitely not going to try to attempt the accent on here. 
um, because while I couldn't even do um, <laughs> do a Simon Cowell accent earlier, there's no way I could pull off Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I'll just read some of my favorite ones. Um, <laughs> of course, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> I should just send these to you and you can just read them off because you're a lot better. Uh, the next one. Allow me to break the ice. I mean, I guess I'm just going to go all in and try this accent. Allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well for it's the chilling sound of your doom. That wasn't even <laughs> close. That was, I mean, uh, as far as accent wise, the quote was dead on because I wrote it down. But <laughs> the accent wasn't very good. And then, of course, if revenge is a dish best served cold, then put on your Sunday finest. It's time to feast, which I think is just one that I would say anyway. That's a phenomenal, phenomenal line. Um, <laughs> Don't forget, I'm going to kick your eyes. Yeah, I'm going to kick your eyes. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, to meet you. I even actually say that sometimes to people and they just freeze like is coming. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do say uh, what killed the dinosaurs? The ice. <laughs> I, I say that way too much. I say it all the time. Um <laughs> uh, um, I did have another fun fact, too, about him, that um, while the role was very well played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, some other very big names also had addition and had been considered to be casted for the role. Ooh. Patrick Stewart was one, Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins, Sylvester Stallone, and Hulk Hogan were all considered for the role of Mr. <laughs> Freeze before Arnold Schwarzenegger was ultimately cast. Um, all probably would have been phenomenal in their own right, um, but was very, very well played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. How about you? What's your number four? My number four is oh, also yeah. a comic book character. Oh, I'm not surprised. Like six of your previous ones have been comic book characters. Doomsday. Oh, Doomsday. Doomsday, also known as the being who killed Superman. Doomsday was conceived in 1991 during a brainstorming session for the editors and writers of Superman comics. Apparently, people really didn't like how most of his villains were either smarter than Superman, they relied on technology, or they had some other way of beating Superman. Like, Superman is weak against magic. Like, he's just as susceptible to magic as the average person. So that's something that's kind of, like, forgotten about. Um, very few people would, like, be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. So they proposed having someone who had the physical power to beat him. And they proposed Superman would die from this bestial foe. And uh, they wrote a wall chart as Doomsday for Superman. And then that's what they eventually chose as his name, Doomsday. Uh, Doomsday is this massive beast uh, with bones coming out of his skin. And he's just this huge hulking monster. They made a horrible, horrible version of him in Batman vs. Superman. But uh, he's known for the 1992 storyline, The Deaths of Superman, which my older sister actually i think still has a copy of because for whatever reason a boy who had a crush on her in like the fourth grade or something gave her his copy of it i don't know why Aww, sweet but yeah he was just a beast and uh 
they did have a I think there's been several animated movie attempts at them uh, like cartoons because DC has a very good comic uh, very good cartoon movie universe and the last one I saw he was pretty cool too but he is a very powerful being who just fucks up everyone in the Justice League and Superman has to come in and save the day and in the end he gives his life um Oh, I have never even heard of Doomsday prior to this conversation. So I, I have did seen... Did you not see the Batman vs. Superman? I did, but I guess it doesn't ring a bell. I, I think that that was one that I saw in theaters um, and probably had drank pretty heavily in the before and during <laughs> the theater because that specifically... <laughs> Doomsday does not ring a bell to me. Uh, <laughs> what do you say? Should we take a drink and move into my number three? Let's take a drink as we move on to your number quattro. No, your number three. Well, now that we're in our top three, I guess uh, we should uh, share with our audience our special rules for number three. What do you think? You start drinking and you don't stop until the end of the podcast. You literally have to pour a full drink and start slamming it. So <laughs> maybe not, not quite, but it's no. basically like that. So what's unique about our top three is when we get in here, instead of drinking after every number, which is what we normally do. Um, we drink after every individual response. So I'm going to do my number three and then we'll drink before Greg's into his, and then we'll drink after Greg's and we're going to do that all the way down. So it's going to be twice as much drinking. And I feel like we have some likelihood of overlap here in our top three. So there may be some additional drinking going on here too. So uh, if you need to take a second to go get a beer or pour in your drink, pause this now. And we're going to jump right in. So everybody take a drink right now in preparation for the top three. Ooh, ooh, ooh. My number three is The Flood from the Halo game series. Okay. Stay with me here because this is going to be a little difficult to explain for somebody who may have never played the Halo games before. And then we'll get into, especially for those folks that have played, but... um, the flood um they're kind of like zombies um but they're also kind of their own like parasitical life form and what's unique about the flood um is being parasitic when they kill you or kill someone they're able to take over their body including their nervous system including their mind including their uh their memories um and they truly operate as a single consciousness so when they take someone over what that does is it brings their experiences and memories into like a central um consciousness that is across all flood so what's really villainous about this um is that literally as long as there are other hosts for them to kill and take over they continue to become stronger and more intelligent yeah um I do know there were some conspiracy theories about the flood, though. They said that the flood was actually like it was like a biblical thing because uh, a bunch like the earth was the ark. Or no, the ark turned out to be its own thing. But there was like the ark is actually something in the halo universe. And that's where they stored all of these beings because in order to kill the flood, they had to wipe out their food source. So they destroyed all sentient beings within like so many millions of light years. 
and they save their DNA in something called the Ark. And then um, they use the Ark to survive the flood. There are a lot of tiebacks just in general in Halo 2, the Bible. But you see that in a lot of um, just, I mean, you even see that in Star Wars, right? You see that in a lot of like hero villain movies that you can tie back because um, the Bible's kind of one of the first examples of a book with heroes and villains, right? I mean, and there are, I mean, there's obviously religion that's ongoing today that is based on that, that story. Mm. But I mean, when you talk about some of the earliest examples and I mean, you can even look even further back to some Greek mythology as well. When you look back, it's it's some of the earliest examples of truly heroes and villains, which has still been prominent, you know, even today in media like this. That's true. That makes sense. I mean, at least some of these might be a little bit more realistic. Because at least aliens probably exist. But everyone take a drink as we move on to my number three. <laughs> Hope I didn't lose everybody there. I know it's a, it's a difficult <laughs> concept to understand if you haven't played, but it's it's awesome. I mean, it's it's really cool and it gets really deep if you do some research into seeing what, what it's all about. Except I'm just going to point this out. I feel like the Flood were not well-liked. They were a very cool twist in the first game, but they were nowhere near as fun as fighting as the Covenant, the other race you talked about. And there, there are multiple alien races. But I actually think I preferred the Covenant, and I know there was a lot of collective groans when you thought you were going to be fighting on Earth, which is what Halo 2 kind of promised. And it just put you right back on another ring with another round of flood. Oh, I hated fighting the flood. I fucking hated it. And that's part of the reason why it did end up on my list. Because what made them such a big... Is they were so hard to get through that part that in a video game... That's you're what she annoyed. said. That's what she said. So hard uh, to get through that part. <laughs> uh, in a video like game, sex. you're annoyed by that part. But that's mm. because it was so difficult because they were such good villains. Let's do my number three, then. Please. Anton Chigar from Ooh. No Country for Old Men. Oh, he's such a badass. I mean, in fact, Javier Bardem won a, an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and a BAFTA for this. So um, Anton Chigar was a very intimidating killer for, not really killer for hire, but he like worked for, I want to say a cartel or something. I don't have it exactly what he was. Uh, but essentially, the main character comes across a, a drug deal gone wrong, and everyone in it, everyone died, and he finds the suitcase full of money, and he takes it. Anton Chigar goes out to find the suitcase, which has a giant tracker in it, because it's supposed to take place in I think the seventies or the eighties. I think the eighties, and the track the tracker is huge, but it's hidden and a large chunk of money. And he has this awesome ass, it's like a a pressurized canister that's used to uh, kill cows. You like put it against their head and you hit a button and it, it sends this little metal piece in there and it, it just hits their brain, kills them, and then it pulls the metal piece back in as opposed to shooting them, in which case like, they mentioned in the movie that like the bullet could ricochet around the skull or hit the, the horns and it could actually hurt you. So what you do is you use this 
and it, it, it kills the uh, the cow more humanely. Uh, I said horse, but I meant cow. Uh, and he uses this to destroy locks and uh, to kill people. But he's so calm, and he he just talks like this. Call it friendo. Like someone doesn't even wrong him. They just ask a weird question that he doesn't like. And he makes them play heads or tails for their life. And he just... He doesn't tell them that it's for their life. But while watching it, you know that it's for his life. And he does it throughout it. And he actually... Uh, he kills... Like... So many, like... Different people. But he only kills if they fall in this code. He has a very twisted set of morals and he has this stupid little haircut a door the explorer type of haircut um but the reason they did that is because while deciding what his hair should look like uh the root not the russo brothers the um cohen brothers cohen brothers phenomenal cohen brothers by the way yeah. make some of the best movies i mean so that you've ever seen yeah. fargo I mean, yeah. Raising uh, Arizona, which I think is probably never seen the only one. Nicolas Cage movie that I actually enjoy. I think was I love that all one. All Nicolas Cage movies. Ah, uh, no offense to Nicolas Cage. I, I think they have a time and a place. They're my Batman and Robin. You're not watching it for a good plot or great suspense. Yeah. It's they're good fun, point. silly movies that I'm like ah. That is Big Lebowski. I mean, I don't mean to go too oh, the deep Big on Lebowski. the Coen Brothers, I but I mean, that. I I love. A lot of the stuff that they do are phenomenal. Sorry. Anyway, continue. But yeah, I love the Coen brothers. Yeah. So the Coen brothers put a uh, this silly little wig on him. And Javier Bardem is a big dude. And uh, they're like, he is still fucking intimidating. So they decided, let's keep it on there. All right. Never mind. He's only 5'11". Oh, wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. I was thinking like six to how tall is Josh Brolin? Only f- he he is five ten. Because Javier Bardem looks like he towers over it. They I guess that just goes to show how good of a director the Coen brothers are if they're able to make it look that different. Wow. If you haven't seen that already, I uh, I'd be very surprised. <laughs> I run, think most run people out agree and with watch you. it now. Yeah, I think most people agree with you how well he played that part. Because if you yeah. haven't seen this yet, um, I'm very surprised. And and go watch it now because you're not going to regret it. It was a great, great movie. A fun thing, though, is Josh Brolin, uh, his character was originally supposed to be played by Heath Ledger, who turned it down to spell, uh, spend time with his newborn daughter. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, Interesting. Though what's weird is maybe that would have uh, helped save his life because then later he took on the Joker role, which apparently drew him crazy. Though that's also like hearsay and eh. But I might have to watch that film now because I've been going down this list and I'm like, oh, gosh, I really want to watch that. But now it's like, uh, no country for old men. Because I'm going to watch one movie when, I, uh, when I'm done today and it might be no country. Or it <sighs> might be... Uh, Big Lebowski. Uh, also a wonderful Coen Brothers. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. And that's why I was drinking White Russians just <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I don't mean to fast forward if you have more things to talk about, but actually something you said, if we take a drink right now and move into my number two. 
My number two is the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker from Dark Knight. Ooh. Um, I thought Heath Ledger's Joker was so, so phenomenal. So first I'll say I love Batman. Um, I'm not even a big comic book guy, um, but I've always really loved Batman. And most recently, the Dark Knight trilogy, I thought were just such a cool dark take on Batman. Um, the Dark Knight, which was the second movie in the series in 2008, um, the Joker was the main villain of the of the movie played by Heath Ledger. And actually, initially was kind of a, a controversial role, but um, now people look back as that was Heath Ledger's best performance. Um, and even Heath Ledger had yep. said in interviews that he enjoyed it more than any other role that he had played. And of course it was released months after he had died of an overdose. So I think that that goes into some of the impact as well. Um, when you look into that, like you said previously, if he had been cast in no country, maybe it would have saved his life. Um, because this movie, I mean, this was basically his last big role, you know, or his last role at all, because it was released even after his death. Um, but in, he he got the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as a role. But um, in Heath Ledger's own words, the way he describes the Joker as a villain, he says he's a psychopathic, mass-murdering, schizophrenic clown with zero empathy. And I think that that really kind of describes how he played the Joker because the Joker had always been because the Joker is not a new character for this. I mean, he's been around in Batman comics and lore for a long time, um, but he's also been kind of like goofy and over the top, you know, and um, you know, he had the gun that says the bang, you know, thing that comes out of yeah. it when he would shoot it. But um, this character was very dark. And even from the opening scene, when they show him, when he convinces some of his other, you know, the other, they're robbing a bank together and he convinces them to kill each other and he kills the last guy before he runs off with his money. Um, what made this character so dark and villainous is that um, he just, he had no agenda except just to fucking watch the world burn. And actually those were the words, right? That Alfred says in that movie is some people just like to watch the world burn. Um, he, he didn't have a revenge plot. Right. It wasn't like he was doing something to save his family or avenge the death of a loved one. I mean, this mm -hmm. character in this movie literally just wanted to invoke chaos. And he was such a dark, dark character. Um, Heath Ledger took it very seriously. I mean, even when he was studying for the role, um, he was given a lot of freedom to make the character how he wanted to make it which is a big deal when you really get to see an actor come out of their shell that way um, but he had locked himself in a hotel room um, basically to form the character he was experimenting with different voices and different ways to play the role reading several of the comics going back on other movies to see you know where can he take inspiration from to really shape himself into that character um, and it came out to be very very dark um, and, and, and then true to the, the, the original Joker story, I mean, the Joker is never has never been physically more powerful than Batman. Right. I mean, realistically, in a mm -mm. fist fight, um, Batman would win <laughs> in an altercation any day. Always Almost does. Always. Because the Joker's not like a tough dude, but what what his, you know, where his superpower was, I guess, was the fact that he was so intelligent I mean, and he could be so forward thinking that he was always two or three steps ahead of Batman, right? So, he knew what he was uh, going to do. So as someone who is uh, big on the comics, um, well, this is also part video game. Uh, so there is a very 
popular game called uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, and mm-hmm. it's, it takes place in an alternate DC universe. And I read the, the comics that backed it up, and the comics that backed it, like, that were, like, the prequel to what led up to the, the games were phenomenal. Some of my favorite comics I've ever read. And uh, the Joker gets Superman to kill Lois Lane. So Lois Lane is pregnant, and what he does is he infuses the scarecrows from uh, who most people would know from the Batman Begins movie. Um, he takes his fear gas and he mixes it with kryptonite, and that way Superman sees it, and then he sees Lois Lane as Doomsday, who I talked about earlier, and then uh, kills kills her, thinking he's killing Doomsday. Only to find out as Doomsday is dying that he hears two heartbeats. One being from Lois, the other being from their unborn child. Oh. And Joker did that just to kill it. And Batman asks him why, and Joker goes, Because I got sick and tired of losing to you, and I wanted to win one. Mm. And that's because the Joker is such a good villain, but he only loses because, like you said, he's very intelligent and smart. And Batman, the world's greatest detective, is the only one who can actually top him. And when you put him against someone like Superman, he still wins. He beats he beats Superman. Superman then immediately goes and punches through Joker, killing him. And Joker laughs because Joker doesn't care. Joker doesn't care about dying. He's got nothing to lose. That's what makes him such a powerful villain. Well, the um, thing is, he actually wants he wants them to kill him. Mm-hmm. They even do that in uh, the Arkham Knight games. Uh, Arkham Knight Origins, he finds out Batman won't kill and keeps on trying to kill himself, laughing as Batman stops mm-hmm. him. Because yep. he, he thinks he thinks it's hilarious. Literally knowing that, yeah, that Batman has this moral code to not kill anyone at all. I mean, he like sets himself in a in a position where the only way that he could be defeated would be for Batman to literally break his moral code and kill him. Yeah. Because he thinks it's a joke like to do that. Yeah. And that's why he he liked to beat uh Batman because uh, Superman, I mean, because Superman was so much easier and he made him crack so much easier than if it was Batman. Uh, one of the things being Superman lets people in. Uh, but one of the things that's really interesting about the Joker was that, first of all, the one we grew up with, the animated series was played by Mark Hamill, more popularly known as Luke Skywalker. Phenomenal. He did the voice. Yep. And then he actually did the voice in the video games as well. Um, the Arkham Knight series. And then, uh, I think he retired after that. Um, But then what really made it interesting was Heath Ledger knocked it out of the park where it kind of really made everyone like the Joker more because the Joker was still just kind of like a Batman villain. But then he he just did such a great job acting. Like I said, I think Bane was a better villain. uh, But I really do believe that the the Joker was more superbly acted. You know, and and I would even argue a little bit that the Joker was the main character of the Dark Knight movies. Or the movie specifically. Not the whole series, but the Dark yeah. Knight movie. I would argue that he was the main character, not Batman. That Batman was the supporting character in the role. 
I, I could see that. Um, he he did get a lot of screen time, and he was just so crazy. So where like he took someone hostage, and he I just want a phone call, and that's what he took someone's life hostage for. I mean, just such such a great one. And then he did so well. They immediately they tried to follow it up immediately with two other films with two different actors. And everyone knows Jared Leto's Joker might be the worst Joker ever shown, ever. Well, and I just don't think that he... So what Heath Ledger did for the role was he took some inspiration from previous Jokers, but he truly made it his own. I mean, his Joker was way more dark than any Joker's ever been. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, took some of the comical parts a little bit, but the Joker's always been absurd and comical when you see him come up before. Yes. But he made it so dark that when Jared Leto came in and did it next, he almost kind of returned a little bit to some of those comical roots, which is fine. But it wasn't like he was doing anything new. Yeah, he also had really cringy tattoos where, like, people were, like, making fun of it. Like, the Joker would, like, lay down on a tattoo artist and be like, right damage to cross my forehead. Like, <laughs> just asking for that, no matter what way, would sound stupid. All right. Well, hey, that was a that was a great conversation with a lot of a lot of good stuff. I, I love that back and forth. I, I thought that was a good one. I really enjoyed that. The Joker is yeah. a great character, and and even just talking about you know the comic book world outside of it too. I think that was great. But why don't we take a drink and move into your number two? Let's take a drink and move into my number two. Gus Fring almost made my list. If Walter White had not already been on my list, Gus Fring 100% would have been. Gus Fring is from Breaking Bad. He is one of the greatest villains of all time. The greatest TV villain, in my opinion. Uh, amazingly portrayed by Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, he's a meth dealer while simultaneously owning the... Fried chicken chain Los Pollos Hermanos, <laughs> which I was told is inspired by uh, Los Locos Pollos, uh, which I had when I was in uh, L.A. And wow, that was actually really fucking good. Um, but he is a very calm, methodical drug lord um, who has no qualms with people getting killed. And he hires... Walter White to kind of be his cook who cooks his meth and he's just so good. He's he was described as being very admirable, admirable and polite. Um, and in fact, uh, John Carl actually practiced yoga so that way he could be as calm as he could in his scenes. Um, I know that he makes an appearance. I haven't gotten that far in it, but I know he makes an appearance in the amazing spinoff. Um, Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Thank you. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Very show. good show. Very good show. For, for the, I've seen two seasons of it, but um, he has a friend named Max who is hinted might be his lover. And it's it's one of those where it's, I think, is a very well done character if, it, if he is uh, homosexual in it just because of the fact that um, it's not at all part of any of his personality or anything like that. He is still just as ruthless, this cunning killer as anyone else. He just happens to be, like, gay. And they don't delve into it. And you're like, all right, I think he might be, but you don't know. But I think that's a signature of a good writer. You wouldn't know. Just like you don't know if he's straight. 
Like, well, and I also, and also, I mean, that is what kind of, and you haven't gotten to this point in Better Call Saul, but um, the death of Max is almost what led him into becoming the criminal mastermind he became anyway. Actually, they do that in the, uh, they do have that in Breaking Bad. Oh, okay. They have that. That, that like, leads him as he, as he goes, because he, uh, Max gets killed at, like a, a dealing gone wrong. I think mm-hmm. at a like a drug dealer's place. Yeah, it was a very uh, very good character, but he was very ruthless, calm, um, and just so good. Well, and I think what makes him such a good supervillain, because I will call him a supervillain, even though he doesn't have superpowers. I mean, it's just the fact that he treats his villainy like a business. I mean, to go more into what you talked about. And he about has legitimate so businesses. He has legit. And he even runs his drug empire like a business. Like he's mm-hmm. able to separate himself from it. Like he's not doing like you almost get the impression that he can take his personal life and separate it from these evil doings he's doing right. And truly treat it like it's just his job in that sense. And that's what makes him so evil is like, he almost doesn't even feel any remorse for it in any way because he just treats it as business like usual. And I think that that's what kind of defines his character is he's so well-spoken, you know, and he's Mm. so professional and clean and polite in, in all business matters, including these evil business matters, even when he's killing people um, or ordering the assassination of people. He just treats it like it's another day at the office. Yeah. Or, or, uh, one of my favorite scenes is Walter White is with his brother-in-law who is a DEA agent. And the DEA agent's like, hey, we just want you to like, like, they don't even know anything about what's going on. Uh, they, he's just like, I'm just going to get my brother-in-law because uh, Gus Fring, I think, already knew him as a DEA agent. And he's like, can you just bug his car? And basically says, I know I'm getting bugged. Do it. And I can just make it look normal. And... He just does it in such a creepy way. Like he knew about it and he's okay with it. And it's, um, but one of the, like when Walter White gets a one up on him, he doesn't, Gus Freen could have easily freaked out and then killed him and said, he's like, well, looks like you're my cook for life now type of thing. And he just, oh, so chilling, so calm, absolutely great. But yeah, that's it. That was a great, great conversation. So everybody, let's take a drink for that. And also for moving into my number one. Mm. Greg, I know that this is not going to be an overlap for you. And I know that you haven't uh, really have a lot to add on to this one. But I've mentioned in a previous episode how much I'm a fan of this villain, Freddy Krueger. From the My Nightmare on Elm Street series. No way. There's no way. That's your number one. You could fuck right off. There's <laughs> no way. Let me give you a little background. If you're like Greg and you haven't seen the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, um, Freddy Krueger, in his backstory, um, he was a real person and he was a murderer of children known as the Springwood Slasher. Um, and when he was discovered um, and went to court, to be jailed um he got off on a technicality so the technicality was basically i think it was like the the police officer didn't sign the warrant in the right place or something some bullshit you know and he ended up getting off um and so the parents in the town the parents of these children that he had killed were pissed so they burned him alive basically burned him down where he lived so he died 
but he swore as he was dying that he would come back and haunt the children of these parents in their dreams. And he did just that. So Freddy Krueger, um, as a monster, um, was like a dream, I don't know, dream demon, like a ghost, I guess, of some sort. But he would come to you in your dreams. So when you're asleep, he could physically harm you. And when you woke up, that physical harm would be bestowed upon you. So like there were some where like oh. he scratched at you. And like when the main character woke up, she saw like his claw marks on the on the sheets, right, of the bed. Like he could physically even harm you in the real life, even though he was attacking you in your dreams. Mm. Um, and in some other movies, he was able to like come out into the real world and this and that. But basically, he hurt you while you were dreaming, which uh, what was terrifying about that is even in some of the movies, like they just thought, OK, I just won't sleep. But good luck. Eventually, you fall asleep. Right. Even if you try to stay up for three days, four days, five days, you're going to fall asleep. And if you have some motherfucker that's waiting for you to fall asleep, he's going to be there. You know what I mean? Eventually while you go. So um, this is one of my favorite movie franchises of all time. There were nine movies. Um, and most of the time, Freddy Krueger was portrayed by Robert England, um, who did just a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And, and uh, also, <laughs> in addition to the nine movies, there was a TV series. Um, for a couple of years, I think they had a couple of season called, I think it was Freddy's nightmares. Maybe I probably should have looked this up. Uh, it was either Freddy's nightmare or something like that, but Robert England also reprised his role. And, and what was cool about this TV series was it was one of those, um, horror series that every episode they had two separate horror events that took place and they were not focused around Freddy Krueger at all. He almost acted as like, um, the narrator. Um, like he would introduce, he was the host of this Freddy's nightmare shows <laughs> and he would like introduce these horror stories. And he always had some like kind of cheesy, funny, com like commentary after between each episode. But actually what was kind of cool and kind of unique about these shows, um, is there were always two different horror stories that took place during the episode. Um, and I don't mean to go off too far off a tangent of him as a character, but anyway, so the show Freddy's Nightmares, um, the, the, you have the first story and then the second story was always like they would take a minor character from the first story and that would be the lead character in the second story. So every story, every second story in each episode of the show was like a spinoff of the first one, which was kind of cool. Like that's a really kind of unique concept, you know? Mm. Um, I just think that there's something really villainous about you're never safe from this guy. Like you can't lock yourself in, in a protected room, right? Like you can't kill this guy. Like literally he's in your dreams and everybody has to sleep. Um, I could beat him. I am what is called a lucid dreamer. I realize I'm dreaming and I can control my dreams. I actually lucid dream as well. Um, and now you a pussed dream. <laughs> oh, guys, all got the fans just said, got him. Oh, God, I got, got you so him. fucking good. You know, oh. lucid dreaming, talking about lucid dreaming is also um, the plot of my favorite horror series next to Nightmare on Street all the time is Insidious. I talked about that little bit where basically that's all about lucid dreaming oh. and demons come in and try to take over your body while you're lucid dreaming, blah, 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 this and that, whatever. Um, I was going to say my uh, the scariest uh, thing I I know about lucid dreaming is called 
called 2020, the the waking nightmare. So uh, we're all able to control ourselves in 2020, but it's definitely uh, a fucking nightmare. Yeah, this has been shit of a year so far. <laughs> it's, 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 like, I mean, uh, I'm so happy I wasn't one of those people who said, ah, 2020 is my year. I'm just like, eh. I turned 30. I'm, it's not my year, but goddamn. <laughs> Some people went, oh, it's, this is my year. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> it's not your year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Everyone take a drink because we're going to move on a little bit. Because like, I really don't have much to add with that. No, like, that's fine. I get it because I've been I, in that boat with you before too. <laughs> and you're, you're about to be in it again because I know Freddie, he, he, um, he, he nightmares. And he's in Elm Street. Though I guess we can always go back to uh, something when I was a kid. I grew up on Elm Avenue. So that was always the And E.T. was basically your Freddy Krueger. Yeah, uh, E.T. should have been my number one just because, like, everything that happened. But uh, I felt villain wasn't strong enough. Um, (laughs) Like, I was thinking demonic entities. I was like, no, that's not even that. Like, he exists as darkness itself. He embodies uh, true... evil and darkness if tolkien lived long enough to see et he would have uh redacted that quote about sauron he said what like he denied that absolute evil could exist and that even sauron was an absolute evil i think if he saw et he'd be like nope i was wrong that thing is more than evil that thing is evil that thing poops evil evil is a lesser form of et um Oh, I hate E.T. So everyone take a drink as we move on to my... <laughs> take a drink one. for that asshole who lived in Greg's closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you're... I, I, is it a comic book character? Yeah. I can't relate already, but I'm still excited about it. Thanos. I should have known it was Thanos. What an idiot, Ryan, for not knowing it would be Thanos. <laughs> Thanos is the main villain of the Avengers, not just in the comics, but also in the films. He originally showed in the films in the first Avengers as just like a face that smiles at the end as the benefactor who gave Loki his sword and led the Chitauri army. Um, Thanos is repeatedly, repeatedly super powerful. So one of the things that makes him cool is he's a very, very, very strong person as seen in the movies and in the comics several times, he can physically best the Hulk. Um, granted the Hulk is considered to have the highest power limit of any being in the Marvel universe. Cause he has an infinite ceiling, but there's like a realistic level where he can usually just get beaten before he reaches that level of anger. Cause the angrier Hulk gets the stronger Hulk gets. And so if he gets infinitely angry, he can get infinitely strong, but he normally doesn't get that angry, but Thanos is very strong. He can beat him like that. But then there's these things called celestials, which are known from guardians of the galaxy. If you watch guardians of the galaxy, uh, that floating head, nowhere, that's uh, a head of a celestial. Um, also in Guardians of the Galaxy, when uh, that large being hits his hammer on the ground and wipes out a civilization, that is also a celestial. Um, what makes Thanos so dangerous is he constantly goes after the Infinity Gauntlet, which would get these six Infinity Stones, 
and it lets him basically control the universe. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's, they're much weaker, but uh, he can wipe out the universe with a single snap. Um, he was created by Jim Starlin during a psych class, and then he uh, he was between the military and uh, doing comics, and he came up with him, him and Drax the Destroyer from Guardians, and um, he wound up basically getting inspired by Jack Kirby's Dark Side, who is another, he's actually more of a Justice League villain. Jack Kirby is also very, very famous for, he has made some of the most influential comic book characters of all time, including collaborations with uh, Stan Lee. But he copied off a much shittier new god, which is what this group of villains is called, called Metron. And uh, someone saw it and said, all right, beef him up. If you're going to steal one of the new gods, at least rip off Darkseid, the really good one. And he did. And I looked at a picture, and he was much smaller initially. And then uh, now Thanos is massive. He's basically the size of the Hulk. Uh, but Thanos is so powerful, so cool. And uh, I actually recently read a very cool comic book series called Thanos Wins. And hold on, there's a really, really cool intro to it. In the known universe, with all of its endless wonder and power, there exists a select few who are widely agreed upon by those who calculate such things to be the mightiest beings in all of existence. However, there is something inside of these champions that you do not know. A secret truth that each of them carries in the darkest and most hidden parts of their soul, the fear, the certainty that they will lose. That someday, despite their strength and their courage, everyone and everything will die. And if you were to ask these gods, these avengers and destroyers, how they believe this marvelous universe of ours will arrive at that bloody and inevitable end, with a trembling voice and a heavy and honest heart, they would all tell you the exact same thing. Thanos wins dude it's a great great comic read it's uh thanos is a great character but then it introduces someone called the cosmic ghost writer who i've also fallen in love with and it's a mixture of ghost writer the punisher and the silver surfer it's it's really really good um but thanos is a super powerful awesome badass but one thing that makes him cool is here are some spoiler alerts for infinity war if you haven't seen it and I haven't, so I will cover my ears now. <laughs> uh, it's a little too late, no matter what you already know. I agree. Thanos wins. Thanos wins in Infinity War. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a sequel. I like that, actually. I like when the villain gets to come out on top. He does. Because it doesn't happen a lot in movies, you know? Mm-hmm. But he does win. And that's what's so fucking cool is he he wipes out half the universe. In the comics, he does it because he's in love with Lady Death. And he wipes out half of them to show his love. And then he fights the other half of the universe to show his power. And uh, he only loses in the second one because of the biggest bullshit loophole in movie history. Time travel. Because when time travel is involved... Literally nothing else matters. Because <laughs> they literally could just undo travel. it. 
Right. If they could just have a follower of Thanos to be like, oh, I'm going to time travel now and undo that. So it's a very stupid, I hate time travel, I hate it. And I think I think the uh, the universe should have ended with Thanos winning. But one of the great things about Thanos in the, the films is they do him more as a, um, a much more misguided person. He believes he's saving the universe. So he's more of like, he watched his own planet kind of go through um, overpopulation and everything. And so he's going to wipe out half the universe to like restore balance. In truth, Thanos is actually a very, very evil being. And uh, he actually has one of the coolest things. So uh, if anyone's seen those Nicolas Cage films where he is the Ghost Rider, uh, if you look into the Ghost Rider's eyes, you see all of your sins and your horrors. And so if you're a bad person, you see all of your sins and your evil doings and you go mad with yet Thanos keeps the cosmic ghostwriter around so every morning he can look into the skull see all the evil he's ever done and it makes him smile and renews his hope that's the type of being Thanos is he watches the millions and millions of lives he's killed every morning just to continue on because he likes it Thanos is a villain through and through he's more of a tragic hero like he not a hero but he's more of a tragic person in the the, the movies and then I after that I, I started getting into the, him in the comics um, but I just realized um, by looking at the cover of the book that I just read the intro from th- that guy wrote the Venom comics i just wrote donny cates i don't know who this is but uh apparently he writes some fucking great comics he's also only fucking 35 oh he's got a long successful life ahead of him jeez because i i already have one of his series that's fucking great i just ordered two more of his series I'm a fucking failure, but good for this guy, dude. <laughs> fucking see, good for this guy. I see other people's success all the time and think, fuck, what am I doing in my life? Like, I've got a podcast with now four followers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> and speaking of our four followers, I, I think we can go on from that because I don't have anything else to add to your last one. So I think we can do some closing thoughts here. So, um, if you love our podcast, come follow us on Twitter. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. We would love to hear, um, you know, if you think that we should have added something to our list, or even if you have an idea for a new episode, we want to know that. So whatever you got. And we also try to post kind of funny things on our Twitter. And sometimes Greg is also in charge of the Twitter and his shit's not very funny. So, um, forgive him for that, but I always post funny stuff <laughs> on our Twitter. So come take a look and, and see if you like it. Follow us, love us as we love you and deuces. Deuces, Bruce's.